0: A kingdom is in the midst of celebration. People are happy, small talk amongst friends, food in the hall, and entertainment. But friends, there is a knock at the door. A knock with a heavy burden, a door knock of doom to the king and his queen. A knock that resounds throughout the halls and into the hearts of those that enjoy their time within the kingdom. A knock with resounding force, that shakes the fate of those inside. I bring you Blacker Nought, by Django Legacy, and when stress takes on a turn to self-harm, to self-mutilation, when one cuts to seek a release, but what if you cut too deep? What if you dig and find a part of you that you never knew existed? A part of you that, with enough coaxing, you could rid yourself of, I bring you, Bleeding Ceremony. Welcome listeners, this is a continuation of the previous set of stories, and I've saved the more intense ones for last. This last story is really where the warning comes in. Not for little ears, you brilliant people. The concept of suicide, self-harm, cutting, and mutilation are all in the last story. So please heed the warning if this is a trigger for you. Now, turn the lights off and a sound up. And when you see a shadow, just take a second to think of who it could have once been. Blackir not. The throne room was roaring with sound. People were talking left and right. Antaron sat on the glass throne listening to anything and everything that was being spoken, or at least he tried to. There was a conversation going on discussing the finances of the throne, another involving simplistic woman gossip. All the conversations suddenly stopped, and the hall went silent, when the two grand wooden doors at the entrance slowly opened. In the darkness of the night came Anteron's personal guard, forcibly escorting a man through the length of the room, his hands were shackled and clothes were tattered. Anteron turned his head and looked at his wife, Delia, awaiting the reaction he expected. Delia turned her head in disgust, confirming what Anteron was feeling. He stood from the glass throne and waited for the criminal to be brought before the steps leading up to Antron's place. The torches resting in the sconces on the wall made the crown resting upon Anteron's head seem as though it were ablaze. Anteron was a tall man. He towered over everyone else at an astounding six feet tall. Above average for people of Dulcera. His hair was jet black, and when observed under the torchlight, appeared to wave with the flames. His eyes were an ice-cold blue. People usually found themselves being uncomfortable when making eye contact with Anteron for more than ten seconds. Everything about his face was definitive. His cheekbones, his nose, even his chin. It is commonly speculated that the gods chiseled that face of Antaron themselves, but there was no one to either confirm or deny. His beard was the same color of his menacing hair, yet found itself being the messiest thing about Antoron. Antoron frequently had to stroke and comb his beard with his fingers in order to keep it tended and looking elegant. The criminal was now at the foot of the steps leading up to the glass throne, yet he did not kneel. As expected when one is due to be judged by the king himself, Antoron looked to one of the personal guards that was standing next to the criminal, gave him a nod, and the man drove the butt of his spear into the back of the criminal's knees. He fell to his knees and refused to look up from the ground. "'You are presented before the king to be tried for murder. How do you plead?' asked the Hand of the King, who stood next to the glass throne. The convict did not respond, and continued to stare at the foot of the stairs, as though he knew he were guilty, but refused to believe it. The guard that had once brought him to his knees rose his spear, and was about to strike the butt into the man again. When Antron lifted his hand, the guard lowered his arms along with the spear, and returned to his stance. The king made his way down the stairs, his hair waving with the flames and his crown ablaze atop his head. The dimly lit hall made Anturon appear all the more menacing. He finally reached the bottom of the steps and looked down upon the man who knelt before him, but not by choice. Antron took his hand and lifted the man's face to look into his eyes. The criminal was evidently becoming more and more uncomfortable as the time continued to go on. What is your name, scum? Asked Anteron. The man appeared to become hypnotized while staring into the king's eyes. He replied, Darvo Leonard, your grace. It was then that Anteron knew Davo was guilty as charged. The man hadn't even told his true name. The king released his grasp on the convict's chin and looked back up to beside the glass throne to the hand of the king. Antaron need not say anything when the hand nodded and disappeared through a door and returned with the great sword sheathed in its scabbard. The hand scurried down the stairs and handed the sword to Antaron. Here, my lord. He took it from the hand of the hand and slid the scabbard into his belt. Antaron took the criminal by the neck, brought him to his feet and escorted him back to outside. As he and the guilty man walked the length of the hall, The audience remained absolutely silent. Not a cough, not a sneeze, not even the squeak of a rat. Antaron's personal guard followed closely behind. So did the hand, and Delia as well. Take a torch. Commanded the king to one of his guards. Yes, sir. The guard nearest to a torch took it from a sconce on the wall and caught back up to Antaron. They exited the grand throne room and entered the darkness of the night. It was roughly midnight, the stars in the sky blazing bright. However, the moon was not out. Had it been, there would be no use for the torch. Anteron continued to drag the man by the neck, and finally threw him down to the dirt floor. He took the torch from his guard's hand, and stuck it into the ground, leaving it to stand upright. The king took the scabbard from his belt, and pulled the great sword from within out the blade seemed to ripple in the torchlight as though it weren't even solid but instead liquid position him and hold him down commanded the king once more of his guards one guard walked away and returned quickly with a stump of wood he then took the criminal by his left arm three more took a hold of him in other places so that he would not move Antaron clutched the criminal's hair, and slammed his head onto the stump of wood, then leaned down, still holding onto the man's hair, and whispered into his ear, Do you have any last words, Alcazar? The man muttered something in a tongue no one in attendance had ever heard of in their entire life. Up until that moment. The night was still, no wind blew, and there was no calm breeze. The night was as dead as Antaron's sun now was. Suddenly a chill, quick breeze came in. It was unlike any other breeze Antoron had ever experienced before. While he wore a decent amount of layers for warmth, the breeze managed to cut through all those layers and straight to the bone of Dilia and all of the King's personal guard. Everyone shivered for a brief moment. No one seemed to pay the event any heed except Antaron. It was as though something within triggered, and then suddenly his fight-or-flight mode activated, yet he still had to deal with the man who killed his son. The King lifted his greatsword over his head and swung down with all the might in his upper torso. Moments before the edge of the blade made contact with the neck of the murderer, the torch that had rested in the ground blew out, followed by the same chilled breeze once more. A loud thump was heard as the sword made contact with the ground. Yet no thump followed to signify that Antron had successfully decapitated the accused. It was now pitch black out. While the stars may have burnt bright, it was not enough light to see even 10 inches in front of himself. The king lifted the blade and changed his stance as though he were about to enter combat. Anturon searched around, yet his eyes had not yet adjusted to the darkness, leaving him practically blind. A muffled growl soon filled the air, followed by the screams of Anteron's personal guard and even his wife. Yet all screams had ended midway, though. Dilia. Antron shrieked in fear of his wife's state. The king soon began to swing the greatsword in hand, furiously, madly at the air in hope of hitting whoever had just harmed his wife. Antoron continued to blindly swing his sword in the darkness. All the movement caused the crown atop his head to fall and make a thud against the dirt floor. Suddenly, his sword caught resistance on something. Antoron wasn't sure what he'd just cut, but the sword went clean through. It was just then that his eyes had adjusted and standing before him was Dilia a frozen look of fear was upon his face and then the upper part of Dilia's body slid from the rest of her body what have i done anderon had just cut his wife clean in half he dropped the great sword and rushed over even though it was no use not even the greatest doctors could save someone cut in half by Olav's steel. He kneeled down and examined her face, yet it was not frozen in pain or shock from the cut of the blade, but instead, her face only reflected what she saw in the moments leading to her death. Antaron rose to his feet once more and turned around. In an attempt to see what she had just seen before dying, what the King saw mortified him. On the floor, near his crown, was the silhouette of one of his personal guards, as though he were burnt into the dirt. Near where the torch was, another silhouette was burned into the ground. Yet there were only two, and Anteron had been accompanied by four guards and his wife. The torch, standing upright in the ground, soon reignited on its own, revealing the man who murdered his son to be gone. Accompanied by the sound of a puff coming from behind Antaron. he turned around to look where his wife once was, but only saw the dark outline of where she lay. Antoron dropped to the floor and clumsily took grasp of the greatsword he'd once held with pride. The king rose to his feet a last time and exclaimed to the escaped criminal, You will feel the wrath of my family combined. And like that, Anteron joined the three silhouettes, making a fourth. Bleeding Ceremony She sat in a tub of warm water, cautiously turning the razor blade over and over in her hands careful not to cut herself. For some reason, she found it very stressful to cut herself accidentally. She slipped down in the water some and held up an arm, looking with some distaste at the lines of horizontal scars that covered her forearm. She never wanted to cause such marks, but the ritual had become so necessary for her day that she felt unable to cope without it. She flipped the blade one more time and then slipped it across her wrist in one practiced motion almost immediately blood welled from the wound quickly falling in a stripe of red on her bare skin until it made an almost imperceptible plink as it cascaded from her elbow into the bathwater. as she watched the blood fall down her arm she began to relax She never knew the reason, but cutting always made her relax. Maybe the reason didn't matter. Maybe all that mattered was the ceremony that kept her sane. She had been told how dangerous it was to do this, but the addiction was too strong. The action seemed so much more important. She watched the blood drip down her arm for a few more minutes and then reached for a towel. Just as she was about to wrap it around her wrist, she saw something. She wasn't sure what she saw, but it looked almost like a drop of the blood protruded from the wound and moved on its own. Apart from gravity. It was only a second, but it seemed to flick around a little, almost like a snake tongue, before disappearing back into the wound. She closed her eyes for a moment and shook her head. She was tired. That must be it. She wrapped the towel tightly around her wrist and then began to get out of the tub. Time passes. She slides down into the tub again. It had been a horrible day. And she could barely keep the tears from welling in her eyes. It was days like this when she most needed the release. She picked up the razor with a slap and slid it against her wrist. Without the habitual relaxation and ponderings, she cut deeper than she had intended. And the blood came out in a gush, dripping into the tub with a plop. She wanted to be scared by this, but she didn't care. All that mattered was that the appearance of that red, escaping her body, made the tears begin to fade. She squeezed her wrist and watched the blood flow quicken, covering her wet skin in a red coating. She watched it fall, thinking about the day and all that had gone wrong. At least she had this. She could… There it was. She was sure she had seen it this time. As the blood was flowing from her arm, something red, almost like thick threads, slithered from the wound. It waved for a moment, experimentally moving around in the air before slipping back into the wound. As it moved out of her flesh and slid back inside, she felt an aching pain, even over the pain from her cuts. The hand holding the razor shook slightly, and she immediately relaxed her fist. What was she seeing? She placed the razor onto the side of the bathtub and put her fingers on her wrist, She could feel the cut into her skin, the blood mixed with the water on her skin, but she felt nothing out of the ordinary. She tightened her fist again, and as she did so, the thread began to slip out of the wound again. It waved in the air slightly and began to slide further from her flesh. As it did, she felt an ache that spread from her wrist all the way down her arm. As it emerged, it thickened. And the pain reached further up her arm. She snatched at it, almost like you would at an annoying fly. And she felt a deep throbbing inside. She pulled slightly and felt an excruciating pain. At the pain, she let go of it. And it slid back into her womb. Tears began to fall down her face. What was this thing? Did she have some kind of parasite? She considered going to the hospital, but how could she explain the wounds? They would lock her up. What was she supposed to do? She took a deep breath and cut the middle of her forearm, making a long vertical cut. She held it in the hot water of the tub and squeezed her fist, watching the blood cloud around it. Come on, she thought. I know you're in there. Come out, come out, wherever you are. She cried out in pain as it emerged from the wound. She took a deep breath, trying to hold back her panic and pain. She could see that it wasn't a thread. It was a larger tube and long threads spread from it. It moved the tendrils around like antennae moving slowly through the water to the edge of the bathtub, pulling its length from the wound as it moved. The pain was excruciating. It felt as if something inside was ripping itself free of her flesh. Without thinking, she grabbed the razor and sliced at it. It wasn't tough. The razor cut right through it. The mass of it fell limp into the water, blood emptying from it into the water. She pulled her damaged arm from the water just in time to see the stub of the thing slide back into the wound. She stifled a scream. How could it still be alive? Blood began to gush from the wound, her arm was covered in blood to the elbow and it dipped off in a rhythm that matched the beat of her heart. She stared at it for a moment before she remembered that the severed thing was still in the water with her. She leapt to her feet, stumbling out of the tub as her head began to swim. She grabbed a towel and wrapped it around her arm, holding it against her naked body. She took a few deep breaths and then slowly unlatched… the drain. It was hard to see through the water, with all the blood mixed in with it. It quickly drained from the tub, gradually revealing an empty expanse of porcelain tub. She bit her lip. She knew she hadn't imagined it, but where was it? Could she be having some kind of hallucination? She leaned closer to the tub as the last of the water went down the drain and sighed in relief. It was there, curled around the hair screen at the drain was the thing. It wasn't moving, and it looked pale. This section must be dead, she thought. It bled to death when I cut it off. But what was it? Tentatively, she reached down toward it, and then pulled away, unwilling to touch it. She glanced at her arm and realized that she had almost bled through the towel. She needed to do something about her arm before she bled to death. And that thing was probably some kind of parasite. She wanted to be done with it. To make it go away. If she couldn't see it, it didn't exist, right? She grabbed the huge handful of toilet paper and snatched it up, throwing it into the toilet and quickly pulling the lever. She watched the paper go down the drain, and she smiled a little to herself. She felt rid of it. She grabbed a first aid kit out of the cabinet, and ran into her bedroom. There was no way she could explain these cuts to the emergency room. She felt crazy enough without being admitted. It had been over a month since she had last cut herself. She'd had so much stress, so much pain in her stomach. She craved the razor like a drug. But more than that, she feared that thing. She'd almost convinced herself that she was having some kind of hallucination induced by the blood loss, But every time she placed her finger on her skin, she could feel it. It was subtle, but she could feel a small tube-like shape. She told herself that whatever it was must have died when she cut off the end of it. But she knew that she felt subtle little movements when she placed her fingers firmly on the skin. It was there. It was there. The tension in her head was so strong that it felt like it would crack her skull. Work had been hell lately. Her classes were a nightmare, and her boyfriend… don't even get her started on her boyfriend. She had never been good at dealing with stress. She had always relied on her ritual. And why shouldn't she? It was hers. It was personal. It made her feel better. It was better than wasting time in yoga, like her friend had suggested, or getting drugs at some head shrink's office, like her mother suggested. A little bloodletting was all it took to do the trick. It was all she needed. She sat on the side of the bathtub and almost unconsciously turned the water on to fill the tub. She held her arm in her lap and stared down at it. It was covered in horizontal scars and cuts in various stages of healing, from her hand to her elbow, with one long cut that ran vertically down the center of her arm. It was about three inches long and hadn't fully healed yet, It had a thick lump of pink tissue, where she had used gauze and butterfly bandages to hold it closed. She'd worn long sleeves for a long time, but the last month, she made sure to keep it covered. She could sometimes laugh the scars off as old wounds from old habits, but it would be hard to explain those kinds of bandages. She didn't know what that thing was, but it was definitely inside of her. Maybe if she let it out, she would feel better she didn't feel better with it inside her and it obviously wanted out she looked at the razor sitting next to her on the tub and she shivered maybe it's my inner demon she thought trying to make herself relax let it out and we'll both feel better she undressed slowly in no hurry for what she was about to do she lifted the window by the tub to allow fresh air into the room to cut down on the steam she brushed her hair and tied it up to keep it out of the water. Before she could change her mind, she slipped into the warm water of the bath. She lay there for a few minutes, staring at her legs, protruding from the water. She wondered if the parasite was only in her arm, or if there were creatures through her whole body. They had to come out. She couldn't stand to have them there any longer. She'd start with her arm. She knew it was there. There is where she would start. She took the razor and held it firmly in her fingers and took a deep breath. She was going to need to cut deeply. Give it a good exit. She pressed the corner of the blade to the top of her forearm. The only expanse of flesh that wasn't marred with scars and dragged it through her skin. Digging as hard as she could. The blade went in deeply and the blood welled out of the wound before she was even done cutting. This time she cut almost four inches until the pain made her hands shake. The razor slipped from her fingers, toppling into the water. Despite the pain, she could feel the tension beginning to slip from her body. She laughed once, watching the blood run from her arm down the side of the tub and making clouds of red in the water. That was when it appeared. At first, it was just a thread, like the first time. It flicked around the outside of the wound, almost like it was looking for something. Don't worry, she murmured. I'm not going to hurt you anymore. You can come out. At her words, it slid further from her arm. She tried not to pay attention to the pain. Go on now, she said, her voice strained. I don't want you in there, and you don't want to be here either. Get out of here. It slipped further from her arm, tentacle-like, with threads sticking out from it in places almost like hair. The pain intensified with each of its movements. She whimpered as it pulled itself free six or seven inches from inside her arm. She watched the blood drip down her arm and wondered how there was room for any blood with that thing in her arm. She was beginning to feel dizzy and nauseated. She whispered, "'Hurry, you're hurting me. "'I can't keep doing this.'" Her arm fell limp on the side of the tub, and the thing surged out of her arm. Blood gushed with a small splash into the water, and she screamed in pain. It kept crawling, getting thicker as it moved, unwinding and beginning to slowly move toward the window. She continued to scream, and within a few moments, she could hear her neighbor banging on the apartment door, He sounded scared, saying something about calling the police. She screamed again and felt something begin to tug inside her shoulder and neck. It pulled harder, and she felt a ripping that crossed her chest into her heart. It was then that she realized what she was freeing. She had spent years telling her blood that it made her feel better to see it emerge. She had told it with a hundred little cuts that she felt better when it wasn't inside her body. When she was forced not to let it out, she hated her life. Now. It was giving her the only thing she ever asked of it. Her circulatory system was crawling out of her body. It had started with the blood vessels of her arm, but now it was dislodging itself further. When it pulled hard at her heart, she knew that it would be over. Her screams suddenly stopped, and she felt the pressure and movement in her chest. She gasped once before she lost the ability to bring in any more air. She felt her heart break free of its position, and she watched as the wound in her arm began to rip itself open, higher and higher on her arm. The last thing she thought, before she died, was to wonder what it would do now that it was free. If she were to be honest, she did feel better with it gone. Well listeners, I hope you enjoyed both of these tales. I haven't had the chance to narrate a fantasy based story in a long while, so I was super pumped to narrate this tale. The swords, the mystery, the magic, oh yeah. And I threw in a little easter egg at the end. If any of you tech savvy listeners are out there, let me know what I say at the end, just before the king poofs out of existence and into the shadow realm. I'm keen to see if any of you can crack it. Also, the last story, goodness. When I was narrating it the first time through, I had to pause a little as I got through it. I recently sliced up my fingers whilst trying to make some delicious chorizo and pasta meals. And yes, totally worth it. And it uh, hit a little too close to home today. (laughs) Anyway, I'd like to do a special thank you to my white tea warlords, Matthew J. Bauer. Maya. And divided by zero. The pillars that keep the podcast standing and the wind in my sails to keep me growing. And of course, my old grain forces Chad Warren, Just Heather, Lee Bauer, Lorraine Cresanto, Mace Joe, Paige Marcini, and Peter Raffaelli. Thank you, lovelies, for supporting the show and keeping the lights on, mates. Folks, stay brilliant, which is a breeze for you people. And as always, Till next, we meet.